0: Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Simply Rich. In this series, we are exploring a biblical view on money and wealth and what that looks like for us today. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Good morning and welcome to the third week of Simply Rich. We're looking at what the Bible says about money. Today I want to start with a question. Does money make you happy? Now we all know money doesn't make you happy. But I ran across a study from 2010 and it looked at the happiness of three different groups of people. Uh, The first group of people that it looked at were people that were major lottery winners. The second group was a control group of a randomly selected group of individuals, and the third was a group of people who were paralyzed due to accidents. Now, you can imagine, this won't surprise you, the lottery group rated highly positive their experience of winning the lottery, and obviously those who had suffered life-changing injuries and paralysis rated that as negative. The subsequent results were puzzling and shocking. The lottery winners took significantly less pleasure in their day-to-day lives, including buying clothes and other things. But those folks who were paralyzed and those people who were in the control group rated their contentment and happiness with their day-to-day living as much higher than that other group. Now, we've been focusing on a statement all through these weeks, and the statement is this. I will not put my hope in riches, but in the one who loves me richly. Let me say it again. I will not put my hope in riches, but in the one who loves me richly. Over the past three weeks, we've been parked in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So why don't you turn there and we're going to look at verse 6. Here's the first section of this sermon that I want to tell you. It's, I, I entitled it, Be Content. And now verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Is that the way people think? Do people really think that godliness with contentment is great gain? No, I don't think that's the way people think. The, the world we live in thinks that a new car or a new truck is great gain, or a new house or a huge pay raise is great gain. Basically, we think if we have more stuff, that would be great gain. But the idea that godliness and contentment would be great gain is a foreign concept in our culture. Now, Maybe you've experienced a conversation like this with your parents or with your kids or with your grandkids. And it goes something like this. Mom, dad, if you buy me this thing, I will never ask you for anything ever again. Can you relate to that? The implication of that statement is that if you buy this one thing for me, I will be content forever. But we know that's not how life works. Did anything ever provide you with lifelong contentment? Anything that you've ever purchased? No. I was thinking about this just this week. When I was eight years old or so, I went through a phase where I loved model airplanes and on special occasions, my mom would take me to a store called George's Hobby Shop. Now George had an amazing array of model planes in his shop. You could buy all kinds of airplane kits and put them together. You could buy gas engine kits that were made out of wood. You could make, buy the plastic kits that you would cement together and then you would paint and all kinds of other things. And, and not only did he have a huge selection, he had completed models displayed hanging from the ceiling or someplace in the shop. And, and I would just get excited when I went there because I really wanted to do some of that stuff. But I was eight years old. Now, George is a great businessman. He knew that you had high-end planes and models and other things and medium and low-end, and and so he guided me to the area where the balsa wood planes were. Do any of you remember balsa wood planes? Yeah, balsa wood is a very lightweight wood and balsa wood planes would be stamped on the wood and you would bend them back and forth and you would separate the pieces and you would slide the wings or the tail fin into the plane. You'd even put a little weight on the nose of the plane and you could fly it around the room or the yard or wherever you were and it was great, but let me be honest. After a couple of hours of flying that plane around, I got bored. And you can imagine how well a Balsa Woods airplane would survive in the hands of an eight-year-old. I can tell you that I was quickly bored and discontent, and the plane was destroyed. That's the issue. When we look to stuff for contentment, it doesn't last. Pastor Chad Moore has said this, contentment doesn't come from the outside in. Contentment comes from the inside out. Let me say that again. Contentment doesn't come from the outside in. Contentment comes from the inside out. Things don't bring us contentment. Let me return to verse six of chapter six of 1 Timothy. Godliness with contentment, is great gain. Theologians explain the meaning of godliness and contentment this way. True godliness is a means of much gain, for it promises benefits for this life and the next. Adding contentment to this godliness would promote gratitude for God's gracious gifts in this life. So so really, godliness plus contentment makes us grateful about the life that we have now with Jesus and the life that we will have in eternity with Jesus. So, that's be content. Next, let's go to this. You can't take it with you. The next verse is verse 7, and this is what it says for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You know, that's true. I mean, you've never seen a U-Haul being pulled behind a hearse. Whatever you have in this life, you can't take it with you. Now, I've presided at funerals where people have actually put things in the casket with their loved ones. Now, I hope this doesn't come as a shock to you, but whatever they stuffed in the casket with their loved ones won't be in heaven with them. You can't take stuff from earth to heaven. It just won't be there. Our souls will be there, but our bodies won't be there. Nothing from the earth will be there. But but here's the big picture. The secret to contentment is realizing that uh, where everything we have comes from, it's from God, and we need to be grateful for all He provides. So the secret to contentment is gratitude and knowing that you came into the world with nothing and you can't take anything of it with you. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we have an issue with stuff. We like it. I admire my son and his wife. They're teaching me something about contentment. They're minimalists. The philosophy of a minimalist is basically this. They have a sort of a a guiding rule about stuff, and the rule is this. They ask themselves, does this thing that they want to buy bring them joy, or does the thing they have bring them joy? And if it doesn't bring them joy, they don't buy it. And if it doesn't bring them joy and they own it, they get rid of it. When I watch my son and my daughter-in-law, they're brutally honest with themselves about stuff. They can tell the difference between a quick high from buying something versus true contentment. They realize that they know that they came into the world with nothing and they'll leave the world with nothing, and they really embody that verse. And they embody the next verse. The next verse, 1 Timothy 6, 8 says this, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. To be honest with you, my son and daughter-in-law are are more about collecting memories than they are about collecting stuff. And and I realize that verse eight from 1 Timothy 6 really is sort of an uber minimalist position. But as I watch my son and his wife live, I see that they're not trapped by having too much stuff or even by having debt, Um, for they're not trapped with this whole idea of having stuff. So what are you focused on? Have you ever thought about that what you're focused on, what your eyes are locked and loaded on, is where you're headed? If you're focused on riches and stuff, that's where you're headed to, to try to get more riches and stuff. If you're focused on God, you're headed toward God and you're grateful to God for what He has blessed you with and you have a godly perspective on that stuff. When you focus on riches and things, you never have enough and those things never provide lasting joy and you end up feeling discontent. On the other hand, when you focus on God and you realize that God is the giver of all good things, you can handle the temptations of riches and materialism, and you can handle the temptation of being envious of what others have. When you love God and people more than riches, you're grateful for even what other people have that you don't have. Folks, you see, we need to get hold of this issue of contentment. And in this section of Scripture, the Bible actually gives us a warning. So I call this section, Be Warned. In verse 9, it says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Those who want to be rich are those who can't find contentment. The Bible says they fall into temptation. That means that they are not just tempted, they actually cross the line into sin. They've failed, and now they've committed the sin that they were tempted to. And they're not content. You see, the Bible is warning us about wanting to get rich. Wanting to be rich because you're not content leads you to do stupid things. You buy things that you can't afford or you buy things with money you don't have, that's called credit. So you buy things with money that you don't have and you pay crazy amounts of interest on things that wear out before you pay them off or you fall for the get-rich-quick schemes. Have you ever stopped to think that if those get-rich-quick schemes really worked, wouldn't everybody have used them? That's right. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, after that warning, Paul goes on in verse 10 and says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Just a reminder, this verse says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So think that one through. And in fact, think through who the audience is for this letter. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. These were people who were following Jesus Christ, but they decided they loved money more than God, and now they were wandering away from their faith in God. They made money their God and worshipped it more than God. They were worshipping the God of riches. So how do we avoid worshiping the God of riches? How do we avoid the temptation of money? How do we practice what the Bible says about managing money? Well, this morning, I wanna give you the best financial advice that you'll ever receive. Now, I have to be honest and tell you that I didn't come up with this advice. This advice comes straight out of scripture and I've heard other people teach about it. And here's what I know, it works because we have applied it to our lives. We've acted on it and it actually is true. Now, I know something about advice. Uh, Advice is only good if you take it and act upon it. So um, if you don't act upon it, then it's, it's not gonna work for you. I heard somebody say this recently, Wisdom isn't what you know. It's what you show. So if you're going to take this advice and be wise, don't just know it. Show it. Show that you're actually living it out. So here it is. I'm going to give you three words. The first word is this, give. Give to God first because that honors God and because that's what God tells us to do in the Bible. In Proverbs 3, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. This is about making God your number one priority. It's about saying God is first in my life and I'm going to give to God first before I give to anything or anyone else or before I pay my bills. The Bible says that we're supposed to give the tithe. The tithe means 10%. And so we're supposed to be generous and give the tithe, the first thing that we do to God. And then it says we're even supposed to be generous above the tithe. Now, I know when I teach on this, some people struggle with with this concept of tithing. So this is what I'm going to say. If you're struggling with this, spend some time in prayer talking to God about what you should do. All right, back to this advice. My first word is give. The second word is save. Save is the second thing you should do. Why? Because when you save, you're planning for your future. You're planning financial margin in case you have an emergency. You're building wealth for your future so that you'll have something to live on when you retire. You're saying I'm going to plan for the future. You're being intentional and you're delaying gratification. The Bible says this, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. If you're going to save, it's going to take hard work And if you invest what you save, it's going to grow over time. I found an interesting chart that tells the average amount that people save in different countries. In 2013, the average citizen of France saved 15%, in fact, over 15% of their annual income. Wow, that is an amazing amount of money. Australians were the next, they saved. 11%, 11%, Germans came in third, they saved almost 10% of their annual income. So what about us? What about Americans? We saved just 3% of our annual income. That's pretty low, but let's drill down a little deeper. This 3% saving Included people's personal savings accounts, their individual retirement accounts, and their retirement funds. But it also included their employer contributions to their retirement funds, which means that the actual average amount that Americans saved each year was even lower than 3%. We've got to save. You know, there's a lot of mysterious things in this world, but saving money isn't one of them. Saving is very simple. It's just addition and math. It's just basic math. You add, and if you invest it, hopefully it multiplies. So as we read, wealth from hard work grows over time. It's just adding to your savings and then investing it so it multiplies. So first we give, second we save, third we live. What do I mean by that? We live on the rest. If you ask me what the percentages are, here they are. Give 10% to God through the church, save 10%, remember that's over three times what the average American saves, and live on 80%. Living on the rest, living on that 80% teaches us contentment. The Bible puts it this way, and it puts it in perspective when it says this. In the book of Romans, we read, let there be no debt outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. If we're gonna live on the rest, we can't be in debt. If we're gonna live on the rest, we have to avoid debt. If we're gonna live on the rest, we're gonna have to recognize that there are four words that we're going to have to learn and memorize, and they're simple words. And they are this, I can't afford it. That's right. I can't afford it. Look, I want to encourage you as I bring this message to a close. Uh, every year we teach a class called Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University teaches you how to manage money God's way. It teaches you uh, how to give, how to save, and how to live on the rest. It teaches you how to create an emergency fund. It teaches you how to get rid of your debt, and it does that in a group of other people who are like-minded and who want to do that. In fact, over the years, we have seen people's lives change dramatically. In fact, in just the last seven classes, we've seen this type of real life change in the people's lives who took Financial Peace University. In those classes, they have paid off a hundred, almost $190,000 in debt. And check this out they've saved almost $270,000. And and maybe the most important thing they did was this. They destroyed 100 credit cards. That's right. They stopped going into debt by destroying those cards. I know that we're gonna be doing financial peace very soon. So I wanna encourage you to go to our website www.valleybrook.cc and watch for the next class of Financial Peace University to be scheduled. And we encourage you to take it. Now, right now, I want to pray for you and your ability to be able to follow this advice, to give, to save, and to live. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I pray for every family in here, every man and woman, every single person, every couple. Uh, I pray for every individual, wherever they are in their stage of life. I pray, Lord, that they would seek to manage money your way, that they would get serious about honoring you with their money and following the principles that you put forth in scripture. And I pray, Lord, that they would give to you first and they, they would seek to give the tithe 10%. And then I would pray that they would save for themselves, another 10%. And then, Lord, I pray that they would learn contentment and live on the remaining 80%. So, Lord, I pray that you would do miraculous, amazing things, that we would actually take your advice from your word, that we would apply it, that we would see you doing dramatic things in our lives, and that we would give you all the praise and all the glory.